the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back. Conference USA Underdog Podcast coming at you once again after week two of the regular season. Plenty to get to. Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry here with you once again. Uh, why beat around the bush? I know there's a big game uh, that happened this week that everybody probably wants to hear us talk about given our, um, you know, widely proclaimed rooting interest at this point. Of course, talking about Western Kentucky upsetting FIU. Uh, Eric, obviously an upset, like I just said. A couple things for me um, right off the bat here. I'm really impressed with Gage Walker's progress as a running back. Definitely tough to come over to that position from defensive back. Had another 100-yard game and a touchdown here. Um, obviously, James Morgan injury early definitely hurt the Panthers. Kind of looked pretty lost offensively in the first half, honestly. And uh, and then on the WKU side again, they just made a few less mistakes, fortunately for them, because FIU just had a lot of chances to win this game, even with Morgan going down. Um, understand you were there. Uh, what was kind of your point of view on things from there? Yeah, as always, as our resident uh, FIU beat writer, I was there at Ricardo Silva Stadium, and it, it was interesting to take in the game all the way around. I was curious to see how not only the team responded, but how fans kind of came in, given the disappointing opening day loss to Temp- uh, to excuse me, at the Temple to Tulane, and uh, the fans did their part, which I have to commend them, just because if anyone's followed FIU football, knows that fans have been a struggle. They came out uh, a very nice crowd. I'd say bigger than last year's opener against Indiana. The team, on the other hand, came out sluggish. uh, And it's just been interesting to see because you would have thought that they'd been fired up, ready to put the two-lane game behind them. But it it seemed almost as if they – one of two things, Joe, as if maybe that game was either in their head or maybe if they had – you know, kind of watched last week behind them too much and said, okay, it's WKU, you know, Tulane was a rough one. We're still, you know, a a Conference USA perennial favorite. We'll come in here and get the job done. And that just didn't happen. It starts with the offensive line. Uh, No matter what it was James Morgan, as you mentioned, who went down midway through the second quarter with an ankle injury, or Kalen Wiggins, the quarterback just didn't have the time, the, the requisite time to operate. And even the the run blocking up front wasn't any better. You know, anyone who's listened to this podcast or anything I've written here at UDD about FIU, the run defense has been much maligned. You know, it's something that I've harped on over and over and over again. They did their job. If you would have told me that they would have held Gage Walker to and the entire uh, Western Kentucky rushing attack to under four yards of carry, I would have said they're probably going to win that game. The problem is, Western Kentucky held them to under three yards to carry and give credit up front to guys like Juwan Jones and D'Angelo Malone. Uh, the FIU offensive line had no answer for them the entire night. Another guy who I was impressed by was Stephen Duncan. The numbers on on paper don't look great. He did have the two turnovers, one of which was a, a – yes, it was an underthrow by Duncan, uh, just to be completely honest, but it was also an incredible one-handed leaping interception by Rashard James, who took it to the house. Um, but Duncan made some throws that just kept his team in the game, and that can't be understated. Uh, all in all, like I said, you know, I, I don't know if this is more about FIU and a combination of maybe us overrating them and them not playing playing up to expectations, or if this is Western Kentucky just came into into Miami and won. And I choose to give the, the credit to Western Kentucky. This Tyson Helton squad could have just went in the tank. We saw what happened last year. 
and they chose not to. They responded well. Uh, like I said, their defense, guys like Devin Key, Jones, Malone, uh, up front on uh, on offense, they paved the way for uh, for Duncan to have time. Great job by the tops. You know, like I said, they could have put this thing in the tank, and, and they didn't, and uh, they got a huge conference win. So well, while they're 1-1 uh, one one with the loss of Central Arkansas, they're 1-0 in conference, and FIU has uh, a lot of uh, soul-searching to do at 0-2. Yeah, for sure. That was the other thing I wanted to make note of. That pick six by FIU is probably going to be on some highlight reels at the beginning of the year or at the end of the year, rather. Um, And the other thing that you mentioned was interesting in that this was a reasonably larger crowd than average, just gathering from uh, watching on the broadcast and hearing the broadcast team talk about it in terms of the crowd size and the passion. It was a better crowd than FIU usually gets for these kind of games. And for that crowd to see that kind of performance out of the Panthers is, uh, you know, disappointing no matter how you look at it. But, um, you know, speaking as the WKU fan that I am, I, a, a, yes, I'm proud of Stephen Duncan for it really, he really did look composed even in the face of adversity and despite his own mistakes that are in this game. And I think when it comes down to it, that's really what you need a QB one to be. And then um, you mentioned it as well. The defensive line, particularly D'Angelo Malone, he, he won pretty much every battle against any FIU offensive lineman that he get put up against. He was just on his a game and the tops really need him to be at that level for the rest of the season, if they want to exceed the admittedly low expectations that are on them for the time being. Um, With that, we'll we'll move on from that game, but certainly an interesting result. Nonetheless, on, uh, on Friday night, we had another um, somewhat interesting result. I know this wasn't really what you were expecting, Eric Uh, Boise state taking down Marshall 14 to seven on the blue turf in Idaho. Um, Bad news getting worse for Marshall with uh, the dismissal of Tyler King earlier this week for an unspecified violation of team rules. Um, the other running back did a lot of the work for the Thundering Herd in that Boise State game, though. Uh, Brendan Knox scoring the lone Marshall TD on a short run. Um, personally, I expected Boise to win, but I really didn't expect the lackluster offense from both sides here. In particular, Marshall had just 56 passing yards, which is something they really need to get fixed because we've racked praise on top of Isaiah Green for the last six months and how we, you know, expect uh, this Marshall team to be, uh, you know, in contention for the East alongside FIU. Um, And frankly, just to have that kind of performance, uh, he and his offensive line are are just, they're too good based on what we've seen from them in the past to be having a 56-yard game, no matter who you're playing. Yeah, and once again, it's one of those things where there's two ways you can look at it, right? You can uh, belabor the fact that they only had 56 yards passing, or you can give the credit to Boise State. I'm going to say it's a combination of both. One of the things I I saw, because I did get a chance to catch the majority of this game, while the passing game wasn't great, I, I do think had Marshall uh, kind of leaned on the run game a little more heavily in the second half and, and gone away from the pass, knowing that it, it wasn't exactly the strongest part of their ball game, they they might have had a chance to win because Brendan Knox, as you mentioned, had a nice ball game. Uh, and unfortunately, with the dismissal of Tyler King, he's like a talented guy from Fort Meade, Florida, uh, Knox is going to have to kind of tote more of the load there. But yeah, you know, you, you talk about the fact that we've, touched on Isaiah Green a lot. We, we think that he's a talented guy. 
And there's no doubt about it. I even wrote about this in our uh, in our my three things we learned about Conference USA article for the for the week two. Isaiah Green might be the most important player in the entire East Division because Marshall's hopes are really going to ride on his consistency. As we saw from the game, you know, Marshall has all the pieces all the way around. Hank Bachmeyer for Boise State is probably one of the best young quarterbacks in, in the country, if not the best true freshman starting right now. Uh, he had two back-to-back impressive performances. But, you know, Marshall held him in check and give credit to guys like Marquise Couch and Furman Silva who were able to get to the quarterback. But all the way around, it, it, it's really going to depend on, on excuse me, not Tyler King, on Isaiah Green's consistency. Are we going to see the same guy we saw from last year who we gave someone of a pass because it was his first year starting, or is he going to make that next step? Uh, we'll see. But all in all, you know, it's a game that was winnable for Marshall and would have been a nice upset for not only them and Conference USA, but they couldn't get muster enough offense through the, uh, through the air, and that cost them. Yeah, well said, Eric. Isaiah Green uh, definitely needs to uh, hopefully – live up to those expectations a little bit better as his team enters conference play. Uh, looks like Brendan Knox uh, for the, the limited use he got, he, he certainly looked good. And um, especially in the first half uh, makes you wonder what, what the change was from the first half to the second half. Uh, but like you said, we'll see how the, uh, the thundering herd rebound from this loss uh, in the coming weeks here. Um, Rice owls. We're looking for a rebound this week uh, with uh, wake forest on the schedule didn't quite shake out that way with the Demon Deacons winning that game 41 to 21. It was tied 14 to 14 after the first quarter. Um, in, inevitably, it was Wake's ability to stretch the field that won them the game, uh, which we expected based on our conversations last week. Um, you know, it, it's strange coming off of that game last week against Army, Rice really hung in there. So we know that the run defense is, is a solid point for them to build on. However, it really seems like as they get into the part of their schedule where they're going to play these more pass heavy teams like wake forest, um, that's clearly where they're going to struggle, which is a shame. Yeah. So I'm not going to lie, Jones probably isn't the best admission here. Um, I, I did kind of switch away from this game after the Wiley green injury, because that was just tough to watch. It was, mm-hmm. you know, down the field for an extended period of time. Um, and so, yeah, and, and from the reports we've uh, seen from the Houston Chronicle and other places, it does seem as if uh, he's going to be okay. Uh, so thoughts with him. But uh, as far as on the field goes, yeah, it's kind of much of the same as what we've seen from Rice as far as we know they're going to hang tough. We know they're not going to quit. Uh, they're going to play hard. It's just a matter of putting together a, a ball game for all four quarters. And I also think, you know, for what Mike Bloomgren is trying to establish here, We've talked about it ad nauseum. You know, he's going away from the uh, the trend in conference and, and, and college football as far as spread offenses. You know, you see him there running the eye. It's going to take a little more time for him just to kind of get the pieces he needs as far as uh, up front, both on the offensive line, having the fullback, having the, the, the running back, uh, and also having, a, you know, a consistent quarterback. We talked about Greeny. He went down. Tom Stewart had to come in. So I think it's just it's building blocks little by little with, with Rice. Um, once again, glad they hung tough with Wake, but you know, not enough uh, pieces in the arsenal to kind of play an entire four-quarter ball game. Yeah, yeah, well said. Certainly, we're hoping for a, uh, a speedy recovery for uh, for Wiley Green. Rice really can't afford to lose too many more weapons uh, with the losses that they've suffered already in this uh, in this past off season. 
Um, without further ado then, Eric, let's talk a little bit about your alma mater and their game against the FAU Owls. Uh, 48-14 was the final there in favor of UCF. Uh, Knights really just had little to no difficulty moving the ball in this one. Um, five rushing touchdowns by five different ball carriers, nearly 600 total yards for that offense. Um, and now with the hard part of FAU's schedule over, so to speak, um, we'll see really how much they learn from these tough losses from the first two weeks as they get ready to face, um, you know, what you could argue is a little bit, uh, easier opponents, uh, certainly easier than, um, you know, UCF, who statistically is the best G5 program in football right now, and of course, Ohio State back in week one. So uh, what are your kind of takeaways from FEU's performance in this one? Two major takeaways. You know, I'm not going to harp on UCF too much, but here's the thing that just goes to show how good they are in terms of talent-wise up front. Dylan Gabriel went 7-19. of now, granted, you know, he had the big plays before uh, the two touchdown passes and 245 yards, but, you know, it wasn't like he was an efficient quarterback uh, on the evening. But the running game, and you talk about uh, uh, Greg McRae, Otis Anderson, Bentravius Thompson, Adrian Killings, that alone put them at almost 300 yards of rushing. Uh, so that's disappointing from the FAU standpoint. The other one, I, I think if you're an FAU fan, you're probably a little disappointed how quickly your team went down. But that being said, that's kind of UCF's MO, is that they they tend to score quickly, and the next thing you know, you look up and you're down 21 or 28 points against this team. So from the, the FAU standpoint, I think that's a major disappointment. Chris Robinson, 18 of 40, uh, not much going there. And just the run game, which you know is going to be FAU's bread and butter, uh, Larry McCammon, 18 carries with 48 yards. But, you know, once again, uh, you're 0-2 against two top 20 teams in the nation. I, I don't necessarily think there's any shame in that, but sure. Coming off of the Ohio State game in which you uh, competed for three quarters or the final three quarters, I guess you'd have liked to have seen something different uh, against UCF, but that wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, thinking back to last year, you mentioned how the run game is FAU's kind of bread and butter. Uh, certainly saw that when uh, Devin Singletary was, uh, was in there and um, – I'm blanking on the other running back who's alongside him. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, Kareth White Jr. Yeah, Kareth White. Yeah. It's interesting how their offensive game plan seems like it needs to change based on the fact that they really don't have anybody in their backfield right now, the caliber of either of those two guys, unfortunately. So uh, hopefully they can kind of bounce back in the coming weeks with that in mind. Uh, but you know, you do make a good point. There's not too much to hang your head about two very good teams that they faced and plenty more football left to play. Um, moving on to the UAB Akron game there. Personally, I really expected the final score to be something akin to this. However, I really did not expect UAB to come about it the way that they did. Um, 31 to 20 was the final score there again in favor of the Blazers. Um, and neither team broke 90 yards rushing. And uh, given the fact that guys like Spencer Brown are in UAB's backfield, that's primarily why I didn't really see it shaking out in this exact way. So full credit to you know UAB, uh, you know being able to find a different way to win when one of their better offensive players. Um, you know, can't get it done and credit to Akron's defense too, who, um, you know, looked pretty solid at points in this game, but ultimately, 
you know, it's the Blazers that came away with the win here. Thanks to, uh, thanks to the passing game primarily and a, a, another great defensive performance by them. Yeah. You know, it's going to be quick on my part because you and I pretty much agree on this one. Uh, there's two ways you can look at it. You can be disappointed because UAB's kind of established really since they've made their return to FBS football, that they're going to be able to pound you with the rock and, and, you know, establish something through the run. Or you can say, hey, they found another way to win, and that's exciting for UAB fans because the past game, real for much of the past two years with A.J. Erdley, has been somewhat pedestrian. So uh, happy, excited about that. But, yeah, I do think there's a minor concern because Spencer Brown, once again, held uh, to, I'm looking at the numbers here, 2.2 yards a carry. That's something you want to get established before you head to conference play because I just don't think, uh, and I'm sure you agree with this, Joe, um, expecting uh, 15 completions for 319 yards and four touchdowns is sustainable from Tyler Johnson. Not to say he's not a talented player, but that's just not sustainable uh, for UAB's offense the way it's designed. Um, but all things considered, they got the win, and that's what matters. Absolutely. It's the, that six-win mark that you need to hit to get bowl eligible, and of course they're looking for more than that given the fact that they are the defending conference champs. So – uh, need to get that running game figured out as they move along. But like you mentioned, certainly happy they got the win, I would presume. Um, with that, then let's talk about another uh, P5 versus CUSA game in Virginia Tech at Old Dominion. Uh, 31-17 was the final in favor of the Hokies. Honestly, I expected this to be a little bit bigger of a blowout given the performance that we saw from Old Dominion in that, uh, that opening week game against Norfolk State. Uh, but... ODU figured it out somewhat in the second half, keeping pace, but really couldn't do that in the first half. And that's ultimately what enabled the Hokies to put enough distance between themselves and the Monarchs. Um, you know, we've talked about that uh, transition for Stephen Williams from quarterback to receiver. And um, all things considered, he's handling it fairly well, was Old Dominion's leading receiver in this game, albeit it was with uh, just 35 yards, I believe. Um, so, you know, some some positive things to build on for the Monarchs. Hard to judge uh, in this kind of game where the talent gap was uh, very clear from the get-go. Yeah, you know, I heard Bobby Wilder, or excuse me, I shouldn't say, I, uh, make it since I was there. I, I read that Bobby Wilder said post game that, you know, if his team's able to compete like this, you know, they're, they're going to be a, a decent ball club and they're going to, you know, surprise some people. Uh, I, I, I agree on one hand, but on the other hand, you really kind of see, and you mentioned the talent gap, just the deficiencies that where ODU is right now. You know, they're still figuring things out from the quarterback position. Uh, Stone Smart, 16 to 30 for a buck 22. The run game is obviously going to be their best option with uh, uh, Smart being an athletic guy and uh, Keyshawn Strong and, and, and company back there. But I, I just think my biggest takeaway for ODU is, sure, I'm, I'm happy that it was only a 14-point game, but on the other hand, it never really felt like it was in, they were in contention. And that is, is where I, I'm kind of a little bit mystified. It's interesting to see. Uh, maybe we can judge them a little bit better once they get into the conference place to see where they're at, uh, to see truly if they live up the Bobby Wilder standard where he says that they might be a competitive team this year or they will be a competitive team this year. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see how that plan shakes out as the season progresses here. But, um, you know, like like we both mentioned, some things to build on, but uh, ultimately a long way to go for this old Dominion program. Uh, and then let's take a little trip down to Louisiana then with uh, the Texters hosting uh, Grambling 20 to 14 was the final score in favor of the Bulldogs. 
really kind of a pretty underwhelming performance by Tech's offense. Uh, only 4 of 12 on third downs. That's ultimately why Grambling hung in there as long as they did, in my opinion. Um, and it kind of amazing that Tech was able to get this win despite being outgained by the uh, by the FCS foe. 40, uh, despite being outgained by the FCS team, uh, 455 to 390 in terms of total yardage. Um, so ultimately, I think if you're a Tech fan, you really want to see this offense kind of take it up a notch. Um, when conference play ultimately starts. Um, but, you know, ultimately I think that's kind of why some of these teams have these types of opponents in the early season to get things tuned up and kind of figure out where the areas of improvement uh, areas for improvement rather are. And that's really what we saw in this game. There's definitely room for improvement in defending the pass, which is a little bit surprising given, um, you know, guys like Amik Robertson and the preseason acclaim that's been placed on him. Um and uh, just in executing on third down, because like I mentioned, that was a big pain point for them in this game. Once again, you know, we're going to have a short recap on, on my end here, because I think you hit the nail on the head as far as all, all points considered. Uh, maybe the only thing I guess you would have liked to have seen more is given the fact that uh, the passing game wasn't exactly, you know, a barn burner, a world beater against an FCS opponent, maybe lean on Israel Tucker a little bit more, who had a, uh, and Jaquiz Dante as well, who both of whom had had nice performances on the ground. But all in all, it just it, it seemed like that kind of theme, as we'll you know talk about this throughout the rest of our recap. You would like to see just better performances from Conference USA teams against uh, uh, opponents who, you, in theory, they are uh, inferior competition. So the fact that Grambling hung around and this is only a six-point game, that was somewhat disappointing. Just because Tech has talented guys like. You know, Jamar Smith and Adrian Hardy, Willie Baker, and they weren't able to really impose their will against what should be a lesser opponent. Yeah, in theory. But, uh, you know, as we kind of saw, there was just something off about Louisiana Tech in this game, particularly late. So hopefully they get that figured out as they move forward into conference play here. Um, we got one more uh, P5 versus, or excuse me, two more uh, P5 versus G5 games to talk about here. Uh, first one is Mississippi State versus Southern Miss. Bulldogs won that one 38 to 15 over the Golden Eagles. I really don't have too much. I will say that uh, Jordan Mitchell looked great catching passes and could fill in nicely in the place of Kez Watkins if he's out for much longer. Um, so I think USM definitely has some good things to lean on offensively here. Jack Abraham looked pretty solid for the most part. Um, but ultimately, uh, you know, I didn't expect them to be didn't definitely didn't expect them to beat Mississippi state probably expected them to score a little more. Um, I think ultimately they just weren't able to punch the ball in as many times as I would have liked, but the yardage was there. Once again, I, you know, we pretty much in agreement on this one. I, I don't want to just make every single week. We talk about Southern Miss, the Quez Watkins podcast, but <laughs> I, I do think him missing in the offenses is, is a huge factor. I'm not saying that he was going to, decide them winning and losing this game because like you mentioned uh, uh they did have guys step up Jalen Adams also scored as well it's just that I don't think we can get the full um the full impact of this offense without him being in the ball game and as a result that's going to affect a guy like Jack Abraham who set a nice ball game despite the two interceptions uh would like to see that come down but all in all uh Maybe, like you said, maybe we'd like to see a little bit more offensive output from Southern Miss, but didn't really expect them to go into Starkville and win. 
No, not really, but uh, definitely, like we mentioned with several of the teams on this show, definitely some good things to build on. Um, so we'll see what they're able to do with that and uh, in the coming weeks. Um, and then, personally, what I thought was one of the better games of the week uh, was App State against Charlotte. App State ultimately winning 56-41. to 41. Uh, Great game for a couple of reasons, in my opinion. It really showed how App State really is one of the better G5s uh, when they are all the way on, which it really looked like they were for pretty much all of this game. Um, and for Charlotte, the fact that they were as competitive as they were against a team like App State shows really how far they've come in two years. So, uh, you know, despite the loss, Will Healy's program definitely has a lot to be proud of here, I think. Yeah, completely agree. You know, if you're a Charlotte fan, I think – you know, maybe ecstatic is too strong of a word, but you have to be really pleased with the way this ball game shook out just because, you know, I think this was one that uh, having followed Charlotte closely over the offseason and, you know, some of their fans on Twitter and reading some of the Charlotte football forums, I think they were a little bit frightened at this one just because, you know, App State is a team that's in state and they were worried about how bad – uh, this game could look as far as a loss, but you got to be pleased because Charlotte was right there. Uh, if you had told me that Charlotte was going to score 41 points, I, I might have said they would have won the game uh, because I do think that Charlotte's defense is really talented with guys like Alex Highsmith and Ben DeLuca. But, you know, you made the point. Give credit to, to App State. I mean, Zach Thomas, probably one of the better quarterbacks in the Sun Belt, and App State really is, you know, I, I'd almost like to see what they could do on not only a CUSA level, but um, if they were to make that jump, but maybe up in the American, because they've just shown that they are really the, the cream of the crop in the Sun Belt, and uh, uh, give kudos to them for getting the win. But yeah, I mean, you got to be happy. Chris Reynolds, you know, it looks like you've got, got your quarterback. He throws for almost 300 yards. Benny LeMay does what Benny LeMay does. So um, once again, that could be too strong a word, but you have to be pleased with what you saw from the 49ers. Absolutely. Particularly in that backfield, things are definitely looking up for that program in uh, in Charlotte there. Um, won't belabor that too much. Still got a few more games to cover here. Uh, Baylor doing pretty much what we thought they would do against UTSA on their home turf, uh, 63 to 14, the final there, uh, really just that, that Baylor offense at times looked like the old Baylor offense, um, just blew them out of the water as we pretty much all thought, uh, for UTSA, this is pretty much indicative of how much work there really still is on both sides of the ball. Uh, no, you know, like we talked about last week, definitely some excitement after beating, uh, incarnate word and kind of the uncertainty there. Um, but like you mentioned on last week's show, ultimately you want your team to look competitive against these bigger G five opponents, uh, in order to kind of at least, calm down the uh, uncertainty that's kind of surrounding Frank Wilson and his job at this point. And um, really, they really didn't look competitive for, you know, 90% of this game. I will try to spin this in a positive way for UTSA fans. <laughs> no, they didn't look competitive. And that has to bother you. You know, like you mentioned, Baylor kind of looked like the Baylor of old, especially on this one. The, the positive I'll say is, and maybe this is, you know, uh, semantics, UTSA's offense, as I talked about last week, just last year, <laughs> there might have been times where, you know, 17 of 30 for 102 yards 
what was a, a good uh, game passing offensively for them, regardless. And the rushing game, guy like Sincere McCormick, you know, if he finds the end zone twice, at least they did that. And that just shows me that there's some progress. I mean, none of us expected them to go into Baylor and win, but at least, at least they were able to muster and generate something because, you know, if you're a Roadrunner fan, listen to this. You saw how anemic that offense could look at times last year. That's the positive I'll try to spin from it. But with that being said, you know, Baylor really ran away with it early on. And uh, at least, you know, I still think you have to stick with the Frank Harris plan. I think that is the plan. So see how that goes going forward. But no real shocker here. No, not in particular. But uh, yeah, you would hope that they would have kind of shown a little bit more life, uh, especially given, you know, like you mentioned, Frank Wilson. I I agree with you in that I definitely think he is the guy, at least short term for UTSA here. So ultimately would have liked to have seen them have a little more pop just to kind of, you know, for the sake of Frank Wilson's job. But uh, we'll see how they are able to rebound against, uh, you know, the remaining opponents on their schedule, I guess. Um then we'll we'll take a little trip over to Tennessee to kind of start winding down this section of the show with uh, Middle Tennessee State beating Tennessee State uh, 45 to 26. Kind of a slow start for the Blue Raiders, but any doubts that may have existed about Ashro Harris' ability to be the QB1 are quickly dissipating as he throws for uh, four touchdowns in this win. I'm really liking what I saw uh, out of that guy, um, both this week and the prior week, um, despite the uh, despite the loss to Michigan in week one. Um, so I think I'm, just based on kind of his performance alone, I think I have a little more confidence in the Blue Raiders than I did when the season started. I'm going to cut right to the chase. If you had told me, that the same Asher O'Hare who I saw go nine of 20 for, you know, I believe 80 something yards at FIU last year would be a guy who uh, two weeks into the season could uh, throw for 367 and four touchdowns. I might've, you know, bet the house against it, uh, but give credit to him for improving as a passer. We all knew what he could do with his legs and the hundred yards he put on the ground. Uh, that's not shocking. Uh, but just the fact that in the two games, even uh, up at the big house last week against Michigan, you know, really kind of showed that he's improved himself as a quarterback. And I think you make a great point, Joe. He could be the QB one. And uh, look out, you know, I mean, they have a, the tough uh, schedule that we've talked about. You know, still got a couple more power five opponents. But if Asher O'Hara can be settled in as a quarterback, um, maybe uh, excuse me, Marshall, maybe Middle Tennessee State is able to sneak up on some people in Conference USA East and do exactly what they did last year, which is, you know, by hook or crook, somewhere at the end of the the season, they were the ones who were TUSA champs. Yeah, and uh, it's it's almost a shame they have such a tough schedule um, because it, based on how many, you know, based on kind of the disappointing start for the two teams that I think we all kind of thought would kind of sneak into, not sneak in, but were kind of the front runners in the conversation for CUSA East and FIU and Marshall with their kind of disappointing starts, there's definitely room for that to happen. But now because they don't have the added benefit of getting, you know, easier wins um, in favor of kind of playing these P5 games, they really have to execute when conference play starts to get back to that point. So that will absolutely be fun to watch if Asher O'Hara can keep up the the standard of play that he set for himself in the first two weeks here. Um, with that, then uh, let's let's go back to Texas for the last two games. We got SMU and North Texas. 
uh, Mustangs win that one 49 to 27. Uh, surprising to me, at least, uh, UNC just had a bad first quarter and really never recovered from that. Um, Shane Buchel for SMU and uh, that offense just really looked phenomenal. And uh, when they they put you in a hole, it's really hard to dig yourself out, even if you are Seth Luttrell or Mason Fine. So certainly a dis- disappointing result for North Texas. And um, I kind of thought that their their defense would have a little bit better of a day than they did and definitely thought the offense would have. Um, who ultimately, the offense didn't have that bad of a day. It was really just that first quarter that really, um, you know, messed them up to the point that they never recovered. What I wrote in my three things we learned about Conference USA piece for uh, regards to North Texas, will the real North Texas police stand up? You know, they're going to have to, at some point in time, show and prove that they are the team that they claim they are in Conference USA. You know, just like FIU, you know, they've gone out and said on the record that their goal is conference champs. At least they have the one win under their belt, which FIU doesn't, but you touched on it. A little surprised the defense couldn't hold SMU to less than 49 points. And, you know, Shane Bushell and, and the uh, SMU rushing game uh, just really took off. So it, it, it's going to be interesting to see. I just think that, you know, we've come to expect Mason Fine to do, you know, just be a magician back there and throw for 400 yards every week. And in the event that he does have an off night, you know, the defense is going to have to be able to at least hold their load. And the rushing attack, excuse me, the rushing attack for North Texas, they did their job uh, to overall 42 carries for 211 yards and a score. So you just need, if Mason Fine, he's not going to have too many nights where he's off. This will probably be the only one of the season. Uh, you would hope that a talented UNT defense would be able to, to kind of step up and, and help their quarterback out, but it wasn't the case. To quote the late, great Denny Green, they are who we thought they were, but they let them off the hook uh, in the case of North Texas and SMU's uh, offense there. So with that, we'll wrap up the last week recap with uh, Texas Tech and UTEP 38 to three, kind of the final score there. Um, let's file that one at under exactly what we thought would happen, Eric. Texas Tech's offense just kind of ran all over UTEP. Um Really not much to kind of even say about UTEP's performance. Um, kind of looked like we expected them to really didn't have an answer for anything. Texas did Texas tech did uh, offensively or defensively. And um, I'm a little bit surprised they even got a field goal in there. I'll make this one short and sweet. I'm really glad they got the win they did last week because that might be the only win they'll get on the season. Uh, Kyle Oxley made his debut. So uh, at least he's back in tow, but yep. It's going to be tough sledding for UTEP again this year. Uh, and, and we'll see how it shakes out, but like you, I'm, I'm even a little surprised you got the field goal. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that wraps up the recap of uh, week two in Conference USA. Without further ado, let's move on to some picks for week three, Eric. Uh, to kind of start off, we got FAU on the road in Muncie against Ball State at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern. You can catch that one on ESPN+. Plus. FAU are favored by two and a half. However, uh, based on what I've seen out of this Ball State team so far, I think I'm going to pick them. I thought they looked uh, really good in a win against Fordham last week, 57 to 29 there, and then hung in there with an Indiana team that, you know, I think is better than people uh, expect. But um, yeah, I'm picking the Cardinals in that one based on I really haven't seen, you know, I know I've talked about how FAU kind of hasn't had a chance to show what they really can do against some of the better, you know, 
some teams that are kind of on their level with the uh, tough start of the season that they've had. But um, I'm really impressed with what this Ball State offense is doing so far. So I'm going to pick them. Maybe I'm picking with my Conference USA bleeding heart, not my head here, but I'm going to go with FAU. Uh, I just, I'm really intrigued because I think this is going to be the best game to judge them. Obviously, the first two contests we, we talked about prior that they, they played against top 20 uh, competition in FBS football. Really intrigued to see what Chris Robinson can do. You know, he's, he's at least looked like uh, a more consistent guy, even though he had the 18 of 40 last week. You know, didn't turn over three times, didn't, you know, look wildly uh, uh, just out of place. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And if they can, if uh, FAU can get the running game going, I think that'll help. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm picking with my conference USA heart. I'm going to pick FAU uh, made by a field goal. All right, then we'll uh, we'll disagree on that one. With that, uh, we'll stay. Uh, well, we'll we'll go to Texas. Actually, we'll go to uh, UTSA hosting Army. Uh, what should be an interesting crowd with the uh, heavy presence of uh, Army folks in that area. Uh, Three thirty Eastern on the NFL Network. Army favored by seventeen and a half points. Um, it's hard to argue with that spread. Army looked really good against Michigan last week. Uh, UTSA had some issues kind of stopping, uh, Baylor who obviously runs a different type of offense, but, um, you know, I think based on just kind of what army's done in, uh, in the last couple of weeks, know they've been able to, you know, run pretty, pretty well on some teams. Um, and just kind of UTSA's, um, you know, not exactly stellar defense so far in this season. I th- it's tough to argue with uh, with that. So I'm going to pick Army. Yeah, you know, you touch on a point uh, in in your opening marks opening remarks about this game. It's going to be interesting to see. You can San Antonio being such a huge military town, what the uh, crowd presence is like. But you know, for Army, Mr. Kelvin Hopkins, you know, I mean, he's just you know a, a machine back there. You know, he's going to put up a buck fifty. Uh, pretty much against any defense, let alone a, a one that's rebuilding, such as UTSA. Just things I'll be looking for to see what uh, Frank Harris can do back to a quarterback and see if they're able to look competitive. I think, uh, like I talked about in week one, the the key for Frank Wilson, as much as it, it is winning, uh, it's looking competitive and not looking completely anemic. Uh, picking Army to win, but we'll be keeping an eye on that. Absolutely. could be an interesting game. Uh, with that, we'll go to uh, Nashville. Neutral site game between the WKU Hilltoppers and the Louisville Cardinals. Um, not sure when that... Oh, that's going to be on Stadium, actually. There will be a... Uh, there'll probably be a link on UDD later uh, in the week to kind of show you where you can catch that game on Facebook primarily. Um, Louisville favored by 10. Uh, I think that's probably a fair spread. Um Watched Louisville play in person uh, two weeks ago in week one against uh, Notre Dame. Uh, really pleasantly surprised as a Louisville um, what that uh, what that rushing offense is doing. Um, I think WKU kind of showed last week that they're a little more resilient than uh, than they can be. I, I think that um, WKU's defensive line is going to have a pretty solid day against the Louisville offensive line. But I think I'm not saying he's as good as Lamar Jackson. I'm certainly not saying that, but I think uh, Juwan pass Louisville's quarterback is the same kind of archetype of player. So I think, you know, I think he can function pretty well when he gets flushed out of the pocket, which he ultimately will. So I think Louisville is going to be able to kind of respond to the defensive pressure that WK is going to put them under. And uh, ultimately I think, you know, 
I think that that kind of experience that they've got is just going to carry them a little bit further than what WKU has right now. So I, I, I think it'll be, uh, you know, if, if not a 10 point win, slightly less for, for Louisville. Yeah. I've got three major things looking for in this game that, which as you mentioned, will be a neutral side game. One, uh, can the defensive pressure that they were able to generate against FIU, can that carry over against a talented Louisville team, uh, Juwan Jones and D'Angelo Malone, will be on them. Two, uh, how can Stephen Duncan look? You know, can he, uh, if he could cut down on some of the turnovers, you know, he might be able to, to, to really just hold down that quarterback job. And, and by all accounts, he is the guy there. I don't think there's really much of a competition per se. We just would like to see him look a little bit more consistent, so uh, no turnovers out of him. And three, see if West Kentucky can establish the run after run. If they can do all those things, I think they have the opportunity to make it close. But I do think Louisville's just too talented and they'll get to win. All right, in agreement on that one then. Um, go to Berkeley, California, the site of uh, Cal and North Texas. Uh, Cal favored in this game despite what kind of the indication would be at the B, uh, over the offseason, uh, 115, East, uh, 115 Pacific time, so 415 Eastern in that one. Um, not sure what the uh, TV situation is for that one. Uh, we'll look it up in a second. But – um, yeah, this one's kind of tough. If you'd asked me two weeks ago, I would have said North Texas in a heartbeat, but Cal off to a, a pretty decent start with a 2019 win this past weekend over number 14, Washington, uh, two touchdown win over UC Davis prior to that. Um, you know, I think this is going to be a, a big moment for North Texas. Are they as good as people think they are or want them to be? Um, especially given the fact that they're no longer, or, well, they're not favored. I can't remember if they were at any point by Vegas standards, but um, this is going to be a big moment for them. Um, I'm going to ride with them. I'm going to pick them here. I think uh, this is going to be a really tough game for them. I think it's going to be a tough game for Tal, for Cal rather, but um, I think ultimately this is just going to show, uh, you know, Mason Fine and Seth Luttrell's true colors, and and can they pull it out in a in a moment where their team really needs a, a victory here? To kind of let the listeners in inside a little bit here, you know, most times as we're previewing these games, we have our our trusty uh, ESPN conference USA schedule up, and they tend not to show uh, the TV for the competitors, so that's why sometimes we can get a little tripped up on that. This game's on the Pac-12 network, uh, so that's where it can be found. Uh, as to on the field. North Texas, they really need to bounce back in a way that uh, establishes that they are, you know, who we thought they were as far as uh, uh, CUSA West is concerned. Like you mentioned, a surprising Cal team that they picked up a win over Washington, not one that I expected. I actually had this game uh, as a Conference USA win over a P5 opponent. I'm going to stick with that. I'm not going to waffle. I'm going to say that North Texas goes into Cal and gets the W, but you know, they cannot take Cal lightly because it definitely isn't the Cal team that, you know, some of us projected coming into the, into the season, they've proven to be uh, a tough opponent. Uh, but I do believe that Mason fine, you know, the guy rarely has a bad game at all, let alone back to back bad games. And if he can put some quick scores together, I, I think uh, they'll be able to go into Cal and pull up the upset or quote unquote upset. Should be really interesting. And again, that's on the Pac-12 network uh, if you get that channel at all. Uh, but with that, we'll bounce over to uh, Louisiana Tech traveling to Bowling Green, Ohio to face Bowling Green State, uh, 5 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Uh, Texture's favored by 10. 
Uh, I'm going to stick with them on this one. I think that uh, they'll be able to bounce back after their uh, lackluster performance last week. And frankly, I'm, I'm not really impressed by anything that uh, Bowling Green's put together so far. Uh, had a 52 to nothing loss last week to Kansas State and a 46 to three win over Morgan State in week one, who aren't really anything to write home about at this point. Uh, so with that, I have uh, some decent confidence in the Texters and uh, what they'll be able to do against uh, against this Falcon team. Going to make it short and sweet here. I, I think they'll get the W. Shouldn't be much of an issue. I think the major thing they just be looking for is that they can kind of bounce back from that lackluster performance against Grambling and put together a more decisive victory. But Tech should roll against a rebuilding Bowling Green team. Yep. So again, ESPN Plus for that one. Uh, this next one is also on ESPN Plus. UMass and Charlotte in Charlotte, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Charlotte favored by 18 and a half points. Um, now I'll keep this short and sweet. Charlotte, good. UMass, bad. Very bad. Pick, I pick Charlotte. <laughs> All right, then I'll try to match my friend Joe here and say, Benny LeMay, good. UMass, run defense, bad. Will Healy, Charlotte. Okay, yeah, that was I, I, that was really <laughs> we can leave that in just because I, you know, it's it's uh it goes to show that I'm getting old. Um, I, I, I'm trying to piggyback off what Charlotte's doing there with the uh, the fun things. I just sound like an old man. Uh, Charlotte wins the game. So to go to the next one. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, 6 p.m. Eastern, also on ESPN Plus. We got Troy hosting Southern Miss. Uh, Troy favored by two. Um, you know, when we were doing our season preview, I think I said Troy uh, would win this game, and I'm going to stick with that. Um, really like what they're what they've done so far, even though they've only played one game, uh, 43 to 14 against Campbell. Um, yeah, I, I I think I've just been impressed with what this Troy offense has done the last couple of years. I think uh, Southern Miss obviously has done some some good things as well. That's why the line is so close on this one. Um, but yeah, just for the sake of sticking with what I said in my season preview, I'm going to go with Troy. Uh, just because I can't let the previous embarrassment go, Joe and I both are in our 20s, believe it or not, despite uh, how old and musty we sound at times, uh, to pick a game in, into this game. Uh, I'm going to go with the Golden Eagles. I, I, I think that um, they are eager to prove that they're more than the one-man show. Jack Abrams really progresses a passer, and they have a lot of talent on defense. Uh, I think they're going to be a little bit disappointed by just how they weren't able to show up last week in maybe a better fashion at Mississippi State. I think they'll manage to win here uh, at Troy. Yeah, and again, ESPN Plus for that one. And uh, moving on then, we've got uh, Marshall hosting Ohio uh, rivalry game, if I'm not mistaken. 6.30 Eastern time there. Marshall favored by five. Um you know, I think based on kind of what Ohio's done so far, uh, lost to Pitt, win against Rhode Island. Um, there's just not much there that I'm too concerned about. I still have faith in Isaiah Green. I still have faith in Brendan Knox, uh, just that offense in general. Um, Nathan Rourke is a really good quarterback, um, if you recognize that name from the last couple of years. Um, so I think that this is going to be a pretty decent, should be a high scoring game if Marshall and that offense can kind of pull it together. And, uh, I'm going to pick Marshall here. I think they can get it done. Yeah. Ohio out of Mac will definitely put up some points. You talked about that in your preview, but I just think that this is kind of par for the course for Isaiah green, right? You know, the guy, at least give him credit for this. When he has a subpar game, he, he doesn't normally have two in a row or three in a row, which you tend to see out of some quarterbacks. 
who are, are similar in youth uh, as Mr. Green being the redshirt sophomore. I think Marshall comes back in a big way, and I think they're able to prove that, you know, they still are the team to beat in the East and live up to that media prediction. So I think Marshall wins. All right, we're in agreement on that then. This next one is somewhat intriguing. Um, Duke and Middle Tennessee State in Murfreesboro, believe it or not, 7 p.m. Eastern. Duke is favored by just six and a half points. So could be a pretty close one in uh, in Murfreesboro there. If Asher O'Hara can play like he did uh, the last two weeks there. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm not too... I'm not crazy. I'm going to pick Duke. Uh, but if Middle Tennessee can pull this off, uh, obviously one of the bigger victories in the history of that program would be huge for Asher O'Hara's confidence and just, you know, would be massive. And uh, it's not completely out of the question, um, given how how good this Middle Tennessee offense is What from what we've seen so far. And uh, Duke, you know, not looking too amazing so far, given they've only played two games one was a loss to Alabama. The other one was uh, a win by a couple of touchdowns against uh, North Carolina A&T. But I think Middle Tennessee State, uh, you know, ultimately this will be another loss, a tough game for them. But I think it's going to be really close. You ready for this one, Joe? I'm going to go ahead and pick Middle Tennessee State. I think this is the game where they're able to catch Duke kind of sleepwalking a little bit because you made a point as to who they've played. You know, they play Alabama, and we all know how that tends to turn out for 95% of teams. And then they have on the opposite end of the spectrum, they play North Carolina A&T. I think this is kind of that mid-grade for them where, you know, it's not conference play. It's not ACC play for them. But they're going to catch a team in Middle Tennessee State that's eager to prove that, you know, they can play. Shaton Mobley, you know, they have talent. They have guys like Reed Blankenship and, and Chavante Moffitt and D.Q. Thomas on defense. And lastly, uh, maybe I'm just, you know, falling in love with the Asher O'Hara uh, uh, I've seen in the past two weeks. But uh, if he can play up to the standard he set as a pass the past two weeks, I'm picking middle in the upset. All right. Should be a really good game in Murfreesboro there. Uh, tickets just 14 bucks. If you want to go, jump on it. Um, New Hampshire and FIU in Miami at uh, 7 Eastern on ESPN 3 there. Um, this is just a must win for FIU. I'm picking FIU because they have to win. Uh, hopefully James Morgan can kind of bounce back from uh, whatever was ailing him from most of the Western Kentucky game. Um, frankly, FIU is obviously just a more talented team than New Hampshire. Um, the Wildcats coming off of a loss against Holy Cross last week by three points. Uh, but really, like I said, this has to be a victory for FIU if they want to, you know, carry any, you know, they just need to win this game. They got to get some kind of confidence going before uh, conference play gets into full swing. And uh, if they want to get back to where uh, people expect them to be at this point of the season. FIU offensive line coach, Alan Mogridge, I'll make the story really quick. He was part of the UCF staff in 2012, 2014, and 2015. Uh, for those of you G5 fans may know, UCF had a pretty successful run in George O'Leary 2012, Beef O'Brady's Bowl 2014. So it was a Beef Bowl Bowl appearance as well. Uh, he missed the Fiesta Bowl year in 2013. But 2015 was the winless year. That was the year they went 0-12, right? I asked him uh, right after spring game, after uh, camp, how do you kind of prevent that? What do you take from that experience, you know, about an FIU team who's coming in with high hopes, 
uh, coming off two back-to-back winning seasons. His response was, you know, be where your feet are, always be in the moment. Well, where FIU is in the moment right now is an 0-2 ball club. They, like you mentioned, cannot afford to lose this game. It, it, under Not only can they not afford to lose this game, they can't afford to not win this game decisively just for their own psyche and confidence. And guys, the last thing you want is guys start pointing fingers and, you know, this unit's pouring better than that, that unit. So they just need to put a, a complete ball game together, uh, similar to the 55-9 when they put up against Arkansas Pine Bluff, almost at Arkansas State last year. Uh, they need that kind of win. So I'm picking FIU, but it, it, it really needs to come out and just dominate from the start. Completely agreed on that one. And to round it off here, uh, let's talk some Rice in Texas at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Network in Houston, NRG Stadium. Uh, you know, really could look like a home game for the Longhorns, uh, who are still number 12, despite the uh, close loss last week to LSU and the Heisman candidate Joe Burrow. Uh, but Texas favored by 31 and a half, unfortunately for the Owls. You know, let's be honest, this is going to be a Longhorn win uh, just based on everything that we've seen. The fact that, you know, Texas looking to take out some frustrations from last week, Rice um, just kind of running into problems every which way with injuries, uh, people getting dismissed from the team and, uh, you know, just facing offenses that they really can't contend with. And this is ultimately going to be more of the same for them against uh, against a Texas team facing uh, or a Texas team with Sam Ellinger under the helm, who's thrown for 677 yards so far and eight touchdowns. I'll make this one short and sweet. I'm picking Texas. The main thing I want to see is the same thing I've seen from uh, any Mike Bloomgren team since he's been there is that they'll compete and play hard and fight. And uh, don't expect them to pull up the upset by any stretch of the imagination. I just want to see how hard they play and, and can they keep it going for four quarters and make sure that they be- kind of believe in the in the process that they've kind of uh, uh, started there with Rice, which is the trust in, in that Bloom uh, has has them excuse me has them going in the right direction. So I will be choosing the Longhorns, but just want to see Rice come out and be competitive and, and play hard for four quarters. Yeah, ultimately, I think that's what we all kind of want to see out of CUSA teams when they play these uh, these P5 programs, particularly ones that are ranked as high as Texas is. So, uh, again, if you want to watch some of that, that will be on CBS Sports Network. And that's going to wrap up this section of the show. Uh, got our picks for next week. Hopefully we're right uh, or we're wrong in the case of when we picked against CUSA, but we will see what happens. Um, thank you all so much for watching, listening once again. Uh, if you haven't already subscribe on iTunes, check us out on Spotify and Google play. Uh, it's at underdog dynasty on Twitter and, uh, on Facebook as well. Like us, follow us and check out underdogdynasty.com every day throughout the season for more G5 football stuff. And, uh, if this is your first time listening, we upload every week, come on back. We'd, uh, we'd love to have you. Um, I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore on Twitter. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all we got for you. Happy football watching. We will see you next week. Eric, uh, thanks for fighting through the flu on this one, buddy. Thanks for caring, everybody. Appreciate it, my man. <laughs> no worries.